Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Visit the website lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be joining us to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortensen, right here on the Paradise Coast. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government to be joining us, talking about how the government disproportionately harms poor Americans. And uh, we'll visit with my wife, Linda Harden. Linda is uh, the author of Greetings from Paradise, which is posted on my website. Uh, she also is pretty well informed, and we're talking about events of the day as well. It is December the 1st, can you believe it? And on this day in 1824, no presidential candidate who had received a majority of the total electoral votes in the election of 1824, Congress decided to turn over the presidential election to the House of Representatives as dictated by the 12th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. In the November 1824 election, 131 electoral votes, just over half of the 261 total, were necessary to elect a candidate president. Although it had no bearing on the outcome of the election, popular votes were counted for the very first time in this election. On December 1, 1824, the results were announced. Andrew Jackson of Tennessee won 99 electoral votes and 153,000 popular vote. John Quincy Adams, the son of John Adams, the second president of the United States, received 84. Secretary of State William Crawford, who had suffered a stroke before the election, received 41. And Henry Clay of Kentucky won 37. As dictated by the Constitution, the election was then turned over to the House of Representatives. The 12th Amendment states that if no electoral majority is won, only the three candidates who receive the most popular votes can be considered in the House. Representative Henry Clay, who was disqualified from the House vote as a fourth-place candidate, agreed to use his influence to have John Quincy Adams elected. Clay and Adams were both members of the loose coalition in Congress that by 1828 became known as the National Republicans, while Jackson's supporters were later organized into the Democrat Party. Thanking uh, Clay, thanks to Clay's backing, on February the 9th, 1825, the House elected Adams as President of the United States. When Adams then appointed Clay to the top cabin post of Secretary of State, Jackson and his supporters derided the appointment as a fulfillment of a corrupt agreement. With little popular support, Adams' time in the White House was largely ineffectual and so-called corrupt bargain haunted his administration. In 1828, he was defeated in his re-election bid by Andrew Jackson, who received more than twice as many electoral votes than Adams. So uh, we may have something very similar brewing right now uh, with today's news and what's happening with regard to, the, I'm going to just call it a tour by the, uh, by the uh, Giuliani and the Trump campaign into the House of State Houses of various uh, swing states. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Anyhow, history may be repeating itself. Well, today also officially ends the 2020 Atlantic hurricane season with just six major storms. Actually, that's a lot. The season began on June 1st and saw 30 named storms occur, 12 of which made landfall in the continent of the United States. Five hit Louisiana. Boy, so sad up there. 
Some 13 storms this season were classified as hurricanes having a top speed of 74 miles an hour. Six were determined to be major hurricanes having winds in excess of 111 miles an hour. Uh, the, this season has had the most storms and the second most hurricanes on record. Fortunately, it didn't hit us down here in the Paradise Coast. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 64 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Collier County. Seven-day moving average is 110 through Sunday, 34% higher than the average on November the 1st. Monday, there were 88 patients in the uh, Collier County hospitals with lots of beds available for uh, more patients, of whether it's COVID-19 or any other illness. Or in, in a similar vein, Dr. Scott Atlas, the advisor to President Trump on COVID-19 pandemic, is departing his position and shared his resignation letter on Monday. Atlas, as a special government employee, had a 130-day detail that expired this week, according to reports. I'm writing to resign my position as special advisor to the President of the United States, he said in a letter to the President. I thank you for the honor and privilege to serve on behalf of the American people since August during these difficult months of our nation. He was uh, frequently criticized for his position that lockdowns are extremely harmful to Americans. He also made a comment that Americans should protest if there are future lockdowns. As you know, I always relied, relied on the latest science and evidence without any political consideration or influence, he said in the letter. As time went on, like all scientists and health policy scholars, I learned new information and synthesized the latest data from around the world, all in, in an effort to provide you with the best information to serve the greater public good. But perhaps more than anything, my advice was always focused on minimizing all the harms from both the pandemic and structural policies themselves, especially to the working class and poor, he said in his letter. Well, his life could not have been easy serving in his position, serving the president. He gave a great he gave great counsel, in my view, only to be scorned and ridiculed by the press. No good deed goes unpunished. Again, Scott Atlas, Dr. Scott Atlas, did a terrific job in my view. Well, Republicans in the Pennsylvania General Assembly formally introduced a joint resolution Monday declaring the general election results in dispute and reserving the power to designate presidential electors for the Electoral College. The introduction was the latest step in a process begun last week by Senator Doug Mastriano reclaim the authority granted in the U.S. Constitution to appointing the electors to the Electoral College. This guy, by the way, has he has a backbone. He's really strong. The six-page resolution outlined the reasons for contesting the results, specifically accusing the officials in the executive branch for changing election laws by allowing for absentee ballots that arrived after 8 p.m. on Election Day to be counted and the partisan majority on Pennsylvania Supreme Court for allowing it it also said mail-in ballots were allowed to be corrected in heavily Democrat counties and were permitted to be counted without signature verification. A number of compromises of Pennsylvania's elections laws took place during the 2020 election, the General Assembly said in the statement quoted by the Epoch Times, it documented irregularities and improprieties associated with mail-in balloting uh, and pre-canvassing and canvassing have undermined our elector process, and as a result, we cannot accept certification of the results in statewide races. Uh, so this is just such an interesting development. It really takes a backbone on the part of uh, the state representatives and senators to take back uh, the, re the uh, responsibility and the right to choose the electors
based on what they see as fraud. Uh, the re resolution calls on Governor Wolf, both Democrats and Book Bar, to withdraw or vacate its certification of election results and declares the General Assembly take back and reserves the power to designate presidential electors from the Commonwealth. Now, there's going to be a lot of attempts to uh, obstruct this, but uh, I think if, in fact, they actually pass this resolution and move forward with it, I, the way I see this is kind of like dominoes falling. Actually, President Trump's legal team held public hearings in Arizona yesterday with the GOP legislators. That was just a very moving experience. We watched it on uh, Newsmax TV. It was really outstanding. It was, it was a full day, and the, all the testimony was just outstanding. Well, and intense, quite frankly. So I think what, what we're seeing now is the GOP legislators in Arizona, if in fact uh, they need to, can take back, according to the Constitution, their right to, and this is what uh, Giuliani suggested they do, take back their right, uh, according to the Constitution, to choose the electors if in fact they accept the fact all this fraud has taken place. Voting machines have, uh, have been compromised. There's a lot of difficulties with this entire process. Uh, and uh, you know, quite frankly, if, in fact, Pennsylvania moves forward, I believe Arizona will move forward. Then I believe Georgia will move forward, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan. I, I see these all these kind of dominoes falling if, in fact, somebody asserts their own backboard and stands up to the fraud that we've seen in this election. So it's start with Pennsylvania, I think. Uh, they have a difficulty because they have a law that was passed that says, in fact, it's the popular vote that should determine the electors. So uh, they have the right, though, and I believe this probably should all end up in the Supreme Court with the Supreme Court saying the electors are going to be chosen by state representatives in swing, swing states and clear the way for this to happen. It will be so interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, in uh, the, all these state houses as well as in the Supreme Court. Stay tuned. It's going to be interesting. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks in Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state representative. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, Fabulous food and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Kathleen Pasadomo. Senator Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Understand we have a beautiful day out there. Oh, it's lovely. And if my dog starts barking, because he sees something. <laughs> no worries at all. So uh, I know you've been working on the legislative agenda coming up uh, in the Senate. Uh, can you tip your hand, let us know what we might be seeing and what's important uh, in this legislative session? Well, obviously, the most important thing that we are going to be dealing with is the budget. Uh, to have uh, a shortfall all the expenses that have incurred and the uh, lack of revenue over the summer. However, uh, there is a bright spot, and I'm going to attribute it to the governor, by not shutting down the state and keeping the state open for business, unlike other states, uh, many of our businesses are still in existence, are actually uh, starting to turn a profit, and that translates into sales tax dollars. Uh, so far, the, uh, the only uh, only down the downside uh, at this point is still uh, tourism, um, and that you know helps come back over time. So we're, we're not as good as we would have been, but we're not as bad as bad off as other states. That's uh, for sure. You know, in fact, I'm so pleased that the government announced, uh, governor announced yesterday that there will be no closing of schools in the tw- year 2021. And, uh, you know, he's, his resolve is to keep the state open. In spite of what's happening, I mean, we see other governors who, for example, are being impeached. <laughs> There's a move in Wisconsin right. to have that happen, in Michigan. Um, and all these, these terrible mandates, these uh, draconian measures that the governors are taking, 
our governor's is staying away from that, and it's keeping us a help, healthy place, and I believe. I, I agree with that. I, and I think um, the, the argument of uh, shutting down is going to help lessen the virus uh, doesn't play out here in Florida. I mean, obviously, our cases are going up, but they're not going up any greater than any other state that has shut down. So uh, all things being equal, you know, let people go back to Safely, and, and I think most people are. I mean, everywhere I go, people by and large wearing masks and social distancing. And the few that don't, well, that's you know, that's a choice they've made. Right, and uh, of course, all of us can make a choice based on their behavior. We don't have to necessarily associate with them. So it's just like the free market. We can all make our own decisions and protect our health and the health of our loved ones and people that's we care right. about. And hopefully, and I know the governor working on uh, protocols in Florida for uh, the vaccine distribution when it's available. And, you know, I think we'll be in a good position uh, when that does happen, hopefully, towards the uh, end. We're in December now, the end of this month. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the governor uh, signed uh, an executive order, I believe, about uh, getting some uh, pricing on Canadian drugs, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know much about this. Do you? Yeah, we... Uh, legislation um, last uh, session, actually, uh, you know, session before 2019, that would uh, authorize uh, Florida to secure drugs from Canada, from Canadians. And how it would work is the manufacturers in this country, they ship it to Canada, and Canada has a strict um, pricing protocol, and so they would pass it on to us if it's available. And uh, I think as a practical matter, it, it'll be difficult because, you know, there's not enough drugs for the Canadians, with that, and then they would have to ship them back to the United States. Right. What that has done, however, it um, basically told the manufacturers, look, we're not going to tolerate the United States or the state of Florida, rather, being, you know, underwriting the cost of R&D drugs that other countries get at discount. And so you'll see that um, some of our high-priced drugs have started to drop because they realize that they're not going to be able to get away with charging Americans more. Yeah. Well, that certainly makes sense. Uh, again, I, I'm just so pleased, considering what's happening around the United States, how the governor is conducting himself with regard to his uh, executive powers. And he's certainly, you know, uh, the old saying is, uh, in a crisis... Uh, do nothing. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Sometimes elected officials feel like they have to do something, and uh, he's just had shown great restraint, in my opinion. I'm so pleased uh, that he's our governor. Yeah, he's you know he's been in a tough position too because you know, this COVID crisis is something nobody has ever had to deal with. No governor, yeah, uh, no elected official, and he's been measured and thoughtful in his approach. A lot of people disagree. But I think uh, the proof is in the pudding in uh, the way Florida is coming out of this. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're, we'll get our numbers down, the vaccine will occur, and we'll be back in business for other states. That sounds outstanding. So uh, before I let you go, can, can you tip your hand on any legislation or things that you might see in the horizon that it's being pushed right now? Well, uh, a lot of it's going to be uh, dollar-related. 
um, mm-hmm. we're going to go back to the Indians and uh, work on the compact. One of the things that is is very important is the internet sales tax. Florida is one of the few states that has not been enforcing the law and requiring uh, sales tax on internet purchases. We've lost almost a billion dollars over the, the during the pandemic to uh, you know people who are not collecting and remitting sales tax uh, on all the internet purchases. So those are some legislation that I I see we're going to spend some time on. Mm. Uh, you know, education's a big deal. I have a feeling uh, there's going to be some deep cuts in the university system um, because, you know, we, we just don't have the money. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So we might see, a, we could see a sales tax here in Florida for purchases on the internet. When uh, I know there are some currently when the home office of a company might be in Florida, but uh, we're not paying in a lot of stuff. So that's, that might be coming down the road, huh? Well, it's, it's, it's the law. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that sales tax is required to be collected and remitted on own purchases, except for if, if, exemption, like medicine and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Florida has not been enforcing collection, uh, the state has lost out on, you know, as I said, almost a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah. And so it's not a new tax. I understand. Tax should have been on the books forever. And, and we just... There's no reason for us not to collect it when every other state does. So our and and what's really a problem is that our our businesses, our small businesses, are collecting and are remitting, and they are so they're getting a double whammy. Yeah, you know, no, you're right. And, kept people and actually, all of yeah. us are obligated to pay that tax, whether the uh, tax is paid through the internet or not. So it, right. it is it's a very interesting problem indeed. Well, Kathleen, we learned a lot today. I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Out walking the dog, Kathleen Pasadena. Again, she's going to be ahead of uh, the uh, rules committee in the Senate. She has a lot of power in this upcoming uh, session and also if in fact the republicans hold the majority in the next session she will be the president of the senate okay coming up we're going to visit with boo mortensen we'll find out what's new with boo we're going to do that and more right here in the bob harden show on the uh, bob harden broadcasting network <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Gulf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Terrific organization. They get a lot done. You can visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we have with us Boo Mortensen. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo, how you doing? Well, I'm doing well. Did you survive Thanksgiving intact? I did, and uh, as I recall, we had a we had a great Thanksgiving. Actually, thanks, but uh, I, as I recall, you had uh, many people at your home on Thanksgiving. Yep, we went against uh, the CDC and Dr. Fauci and filled the house with people that actually got off a plane. <laughs> so, how did it go? Wonderfully. Now, I will tell you, they flew, but then they all got tested. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to go too crazy, but uh, nope, we had a wonderful time. Great, awesome, wonderful weather, and it was it was just a magical five days. Well, that's wonderful. If, if you delivered to California, the governor would have wanted to confiscate your uh, turkey. <laughs> We're so fortunate here in Florida to have oh, the situation we have. I know. You know, uh, one funny story, and then we'll go back to what we were going to talk about, is that I love there's a tequila bar in California, uh-huh. and, you know, only essential businesses can remain open. So he's applying to become a religious center, and I thought, you know what? Good option. Remember, remember back in the... Tequila, you find God. Yeah, do you remember back in the day when uh, when the tax rate was so high and a lot of folks were <laughs> getting, becoming ministers? <laughs> yeah. You remember that back in the 70s, I think it was. Sure. Uh, this is sort of a modern version of that. Yeah, uh, so interesting. So, what's so I on? thought that was creative, but at least the guy's got a job. Unlike, so I read an article over the weekend that talks about all the kids graduating from college yeah. and trying to find work in the most challenging job market in probably generations. And... 25%, a quarter of all the kids that are graduating from college are unemployed. Yeah. Now, that's bad, but was staggering. 52% of these kids, 52, half of all the kids from 18 to 29 are living with their parents. Man, that is just so sad. I mean, the prospects are this. In the meantime, here in Florida, we've decided to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, reducing the opportunity for them to find work. 
All right, that's not going to happen until 2023 or 20. I've forgotten, 26 perhaps. But irrespective, you can't imagine more than a, a more of a perfect storm than having this coronavirus graduation, uh, the yeah. economy, and all the things that are going on right now. It's uh, it's a sad, sad situation for these young people. You can see why kids are having to go back and move in with their parents. I love DeSantis. This guy is a rock star in my mind. He, he, he is. says the other day, all the schools are staying open. Make no mistake. You know, it's a tragedy that we've closed schools. He is so right. I think people are going to look back and think, we closed the schools? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, now the governor or the uh, mayor of New York has decided an abrupt 180-degree turn turned on his heel and decided to open the schools after closing them for just a few days. So I don't know what was behind that decision, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's coming to his senses. In any event, uh, it, 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 I think there's going to be a lot of changes in higher education as a consequence of all this. Uh, there's a lot of dependence on federal funding and state funding for uh, hi, uh, higher education. It makes me wonder, perhaps, that's not going to be cut back and a lot of changes happening. I mean, they're charging so much for kids to go to school right now, and if yeah. they, they can't find jobs, uh, it's, uh, it's a very difficult situation. Well, at the college level, they're char uh, charging a lot for these kids to go to school right. virtually. So they're not even going into classrooms, and you wonder how that's going to change uh, tenure. Uh, all these big buildings that are being built on campuses, what right. they charge, yep. tuition charges. It'll, you know, stay tuned. It'll be interesting. Well, I imagine. But I'm going to talk about. Okay, I was just just to, uh, just to close a thought on that. I, I would imagine we're going to see some uh, higher education institutions merging in order to cut costs and to be able to <laughs> maintain uh, uh, financial integrity. Well, like, give me an example. Well, uh, let's take uh, uh, smaller schools in Ohio might merge with Ohio State, for example. Or uh, to, I'm not exactly, I haven't really thought it through, but uh, my point is this, that there's going to be some colleges that won't be able to survive unless they do something like that. Yes, yeah, I think so. Well, you know, I think, uh, like the University of Wisconsin, I think they have, what is it, 11 other campuses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a massive college. Yeah. All under one umbrella. but. I'll bet you that all the tech schools are thriving. Yes. Well, they should. And uh, um, th that might be the other thing that happens is some of these schools will be determined that they want to uh, will pivot and become uh, tech schools. Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I have a nephew that lives in, lived in New York City and was a salesman for, I don't know, Wall Street, something like that. And he couldn't survive in New York. He moved back to Seattle and is now going back to school to learn software programming. He's going to be a soft, software programmer. Uh, living, yes. in, living in Seattle <laughs> is one place I would not want to live, that's for sure. Unless you can... Oh, my. They're crazy. My brother and sister-in-law live in Seattle, and they have drunk the Kool-Aid. Really? Uh, well, uh, defund the police, all the things are going to start happening up there. It's just really, and now they have, I think they've got something like a $20 minimum wage. It's going to put people out of work. It's just unbelievable. Just as to, back yeah. to your point though, grateful that we have the governor we have. Oh, do you think that he will run someday for higher office? Well, the next step could be Senate or, yep. uh, or uh, president or something like that. 
Uh, right now, Rick Scott's a young guy. I don't see him. I don't know what he may want to do. Which, by the way, is it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, <laughs> Rick. <laughs> and uh, our other uh, senator, Marco Rubio, he's kind of a rock star, too. He may have uh, yeah, higher yeah. ambitions as well. So I'm not sure there's going to be a state senate position opening up, or, or I should say a U.S. senator position opening up in Florida. But uh, DeSantis, I think, he pa- I think he packs, packs the gear to become a presidential candidate. I do, too. I do, too. Who knows? Maybe he'll run against uh, Cuomo. <laughs> Stay tuned. Things can get a lot weirder than they already are. I thought, I thought you didn't want to talk about politics, boo. <laughs> I know, but that's, I'm talking about fantasy politics. I got you. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what I, in the last of the closing... You know, I don't know. I mean, kids use their cell phones in ways that we don't understand. I don't get what TikTok is. You know, I don't understand any of that stuff. Right. And when you think about child pornography and going on the Internet, you know, in your mind, you think about some creepy old guy that's trying to ensnare young kids through Facebook, I guess. That's what I would think. Well, the definition of child pornography is any sexually explicit visual depiction involving a person under 18, mm-hmm. and it's a felony in most states. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know that these young kids are doing it with, with each other, that by the age of 13, a quarter, a quarter of all kids by the age of 13 have been asked to send nude photos or have requested them from others. How that's, crazy is that? That's shocking. That is disturbing, actually. I mean, how, you know, the, the, the uh, I mean, those pictures on the internet can be preserved forever. I mean, it's, ever. it's, uh, man, oh man, that's just, that's a disturbing consideration. Well, of course, when, when you're young. A quarter of all 13 year olds. Yeah, a quarter of all 13 year olds. That's just unbelievable. Well, you know, when you're young, you're impetuous and stupid and do st- crazy things. That's what young people do because their brains are not fully filled out and formed. But uh, that's a real downer. That's that's uh, that would be shocking to find out. Yeah, it's going to come back and haunt them. And some of these kids that have gotten caught with this, like say there's a 13 year old boy and a 12 year old girl, they're charged with felonies. Really, in connection with sending each other sexually explicit dili- uh, uh, videos. Yeah, it's a felony in most states. Well, you know what? It just makes a good case for making sure the kids understand the law and they understand their responsibility to uh, conforming to the law. Uh, you know, what is it that Judge Frankfurter said, the uh, Supreme Court Justice? Your freedom uh, stops with my nose. <laughs> you, can't, you can't hit me in the nose. So uh, kids need to understand they can't be doing this type of activity or at least to really bad results. Although, aren't you That's shocked right. to see it, how many people who in in higher office who commit crimes don't end up ever getting convicted? Yeah, what's with that? I yeah, know. I do. A whole nother what cup. happened to Anthony Weiner? <laughs> yeah, he, I think he's out of jail right now. I'm not sure. Anyhow, Boo, I just genuinely appreciate your contribution to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. All right, coming up. Uh, we're going to visit with Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Linda Harden. She uh, writes greetings from paradise. She's got a list of several thousand people that subscribe to it, and she's going to be on the show talking about, uh, well, what's happening uh, locally and nationally. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about less government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and yeah. Yeah, it's a big job. It's a good market. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I wish it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, so you were to column. I, this is so interesting. Government disproportionately harms poor Americans more. That is so interesting. Tell us about it. Well, you know, that's one of the, you, you see it all the time. You know, every time the media or big tech or whomever tries to point out alleged private sector failings, they always say, you know, it, it, the, the poor, the minorities are disproportionately hardest hit, you know. Right. And, you know, poor people are poor, you know, it, it skips over all the steps that got poor people to being where they are. Um, it's hard to equalize the outcomes of Bill Gates and a crack addict, right? That's right. Because they made different life decisions, and their paths subsequently took different courses. Um, so but what I wanted to point out was, without, you know, the, the reason the poor are the poor is because they, of their own decisions. Government makes everybody poor through no, nobody's fault. It's right. just the way government is. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, government costs more, and it costs the poor more than everybody else. Um, 
the, you know, Charles Barkley, the, the basketball legend, had a great line. I think it was in his autobiography when he was still with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, and it said, I never saw a poor person hire anybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you have government, you know, aiming at the rich, what you're doing, the rich hire people. I've always said my fit, you know, a, a person buying a yacht does more for the for poor people than 10,000 government programs. Right. Because who sells the rich person the yacht? A poor person. Or, well, maybe not a yacht, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, who builds the yacht? Lots of poor people. Uh, who drives the yacht to the lot to be sold? Another poor person. You know, jobs and raises are predicated upon disposable income, investable income from rich people. So when government increases the costs on anyone, they increase the costs on everyone. Right. If they raise taxes on rich people who sell stuff, well, the prices of the stuff, the prices of their stuff goes up right. to, com- to offset the cost of the government and, going and, up. and the job opportunity go down. I would like to. And this of way. course, that's the that's the unseen that, that's that's the opportunity cost. Right. Um, the the money that goes to government would have instead been used to hire people and increase wages and increase benefits, and so all of it harms the poor more. It was I thought of this. You know, it, it finished formulating my thought over the weekend because this is what I do. I listened to C-SPAN's. The communicators, and what the communicators is a show where they interview people who bring you technology, whether it's Netflix, it's Netflix CEO Reed Hastings one week, it's, you know, uh, you know NCTA chairman Michael Powell the next, it's, and then this week it was ACA Connects, which is an association for small broadband providers, and it was the president of the association, and it was the chairman who also runs a small broadband company in southwest Missouri. And this is, this was, you know, we hear about the wealth gap and we hear about the digital divide. The digital divide is people in rural areas, poor areas, can't afford or don't have access to Internet. Yeah. Well, here's the woman closing the digital divide. Um, I think her name is Patricia Doe Boyer uh, is her name, if I remember properly. And she's on the show, and she's talking about... You know, she has 4,200 and some customers. That's it. Yeah. And, of course, her expenses to lay cable, dig trenches and lay cable per mile, is exactly what a giant like Comcast or Charter pays. And their programming for their television subscriptions is more because they're buying for 4,200, not 42 million. Right. So when you, inc- you know, and here's a woman doing precisely what we say we need done, connecting rural areas to the Internet. We have a very large country. When you hear these morons compare us to, you know, connectivity to Europe, you know, Texas is as big as France. You know, we have a lot of rural area that costs a lot of money to connect. Europe doesn't have that problem. Um, So, so, and, you know, South Korea doesn't have that problem. So here's the woman doing precisely what we say we need done, connecting the unconnected to the Internet. And (laughs) he's talking to her, and she says, like in the first three minutes of the interview, I need government to get the hell out of my way. She doesn't say hell, but she says, yeah. I, I, need gov- I need government to get out of my way. And, you know, Peter Schlen's the host, the CSPN host, and he, he I, I'm listening. I wish I'd seen it. He sounds gobsmacked. He goes, do you, have, do you think, is DC an impediment to you? And she says, oh, gosh, how much time do you got, Peter? <laughs> yeah. And then she, she, you know, she goes, 
you know, whether it's the Federal Communications Commission, whether it's the IRS, whether it's the Public Utilities Commission, because I've got a portion of my building, my little office building, dedicated to dealing with the federal government. And then, of course, she doesn't even mention the local government she has to go to go through, the counties, the towns, to get permission to pay them to connect and dig trenches to connect them to the Internet. Yeah. She has to pay them for that privilege to do that. Yeah. And so she just goes on and on about <laughs> government's just a giant pain in her posterior as she's trying to do what she does. And, of course, when they, increase, when they impose net neutrality, when they impose more taxes, when they do all these things, who can, who's better financially equipped to deal with it? Comcast, Charter, or this little mom and pop Broadway Brian shop with 4,200 customers in Southwest Missouri? Yeah, yeah. So the first people to be hurt by more government in the sector are the people like her trying to connect the people we say we want to connect. Right. It's and so you know, and then oh, that's one other point I want to make. When she lays a mile of cable, for example to connect people, in the city, Comcast will get 100, 200, 300 subscribers on that mile because mm-hmm. they're in apartment buildings, you know, and you just, you just go up and connect their apartment. She may get five for a mile, maybe three, maybe less. So the cost of the infrastructure is the same, and the customers per mile yeah. are much less, which yeah. means the costs are defrayed much less, which means more, you know, they... So your her margins are much tighter than yeah. Comcast. She has a much smaller customer base, and now you want her to pay for more government? No, no. You know, a couple thoughts though about about your commentary, which is just outstanding. Seaton, uh, my first comment is: first of all, uh, the poor, very dynamic segment. There is no such thing as the poor. I, I was poor. Right. I was poor once, you know, and I, I, I'm not uh, rich, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, it it is not. It's it is fluid. It, like every other group they try to put us in, it's not monolithic. Exactly. And my second point is, you know, while there may be higher internet costs for people who live in rural areas, by uh, by contrast, there's lower real estate costs and other costs. Sure. So that's a, that's an excellent point. You know what? I'd never I'd never mention that. They're paying, you know, five dollars an acre for land. Right. Right. <laughs> versus. Yeah, my point yeah, is that, that they, they are actually making personal choices. I mean, that, that choice comes with some great things that happen. Well, oh yes, my my joke has always been they're moving there to get away from it all, yeah. and <laughs> the internet is included in that subset of it all. Um, what they don't talk about this is another lie they tell when they talk about how many millions of Americans aren't connected. A lot of them don't want to be connected. Right. The baby boomers are now senior citizens. And a lot of them have no desire at all. They, they didn't come up in the age of the internet, right? And now they're like, I want to play. You know, I want to play golf. I want to live in my resort community. I want to have lunch and dinner at four o'clock. Yeah. And then, you know, they don't want to connect to the internet. A lot of some of them do. A lot of them do. A lot of them have no desire to. Yeah, you know. There's, there's a lot of poor people who aren't older who say, I have no, you know. Uh, you know, if you're an electrician and you're working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week on job sites, and then you come home, maybe you want an internet connection to watch Netflix, but are you going to go surfing the way? You know, this is a, this is another one of those, you know, bubble myopic views of the world yeah, so where, it's... you know, a bunch of English majors from stupid colleges 
think everybody wants to go home and read treatises on Vox.com <laughs> when they get home. Yeah. And, you know, I, I live in a village of 242 people. I don't even know how many people are connected to the Internet. You know, my handyman, I don't know. Yeah, he that's doesn't right. have central air conditioning. You know, I don't know. You make such great so. points, Seaton. I really appreciate your commentary here. Just encourage, by the way, I'm, I'm uh, reading this column on Red State. Seaton Motley's a frequent contributor to Red State. <laughs> Not right now, you're not. It's down, but, but go ahead. Uh, but I'm looking at your column right now, so it's not down for me. So, in any oh, event, oh, is it, maybe it came back up during our conversation. Yeah, That's good news. Yeah, so Seat Miley, again, founder of Less, Less Government. You can visit lessgovernment.org and Less Government on Facebook as well. Seaton, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Linda Hart, a beautiful wife. Great commentary uh, for... Uh, greetings in paradise. By the way, you can find all of her columns on my website, bobharden.com. Anyhow, we're going to be talking about what's happening here on the Paradise Coast and beyond. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADC. Kids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I do want to do a little shout out to Lulu B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. The uh, uh, facade of the building's under construction right now. So uh, they do great breakfast and lunch at Lulabee's Diner. Big supporters of St. Matthew's House. I hope you'll swing by or even call, uh, call them and get the takeout. And uh, Uber Eats uh, is available through Lulabee's Diner. We have with us my wife, Linda Hart. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, what I really appreciate about that is uh, you are up to the minute with what's going on. We call it an up-to-the-minute snippet <laughs> of what's happening. And I'm sure in the last error, you, you've got some news for us. Um, well, I do, but I first want to mention, because we were talking off air about what's going on around um, um, Naples and Southwest Florida, and I just, just wanted to mention, do a shout-out while you're doing shout-outs, mm. to Seed to Table. Yeah. Um, I went to the grocery store. You know, I do my three three stores on Saturday routine, and there's such a marked difference between going to Seed to Table and, and uh, Publix and, and Whole Foods. Uh, seed to table. Disneyland is usually the happiest place on earth, but seed to table in our area is the happiest place on earth. It was really, yeah. uh, it's really a pleasure. Um, but getting getting to 
what's newsy news of the day. Uh, you and I both watched those hearings in oh. in Arizona yesterday, which yeah. we could not stop watching. And that Linda Blackman, the the chairman of the Republican uh, committee uh, in her county, I wanted to give her a standing ovation. It was so amazing to see and hear her tell her story about voter fraud. Don't you agree? I mean, that oh, was, it was absolutely it was, mesmerizing. It was mesmerizing, and uh, it's hard to describe the impact. The energy that was so palpable, first of all, with Giuliani and his team so well prepared, and then calling these witnesses up. And then the Republican, I'm not sure they were actually in session, but it was a, a the group of uh, Republican senators and uh, state senators and state representatives, I believe, that were there. And uh, they were making their comments. It's, it's pretty clear to me that the strategy, just taking a step back, I believe uh, the Pennsylvania legislature is going to take back the responsibility for assigning the uh, electors, uh, and I believe that's going to become uh, something that's going to happen in Arizona, maybe in Georgia, maybe in uh, Penn, in uh, Wisconsin, maybe in uh, Michigan. It, it just, to me, appears like the best strategy for Trump to win back this election that was, I fr quite frankly, through fraud, was stolen uh, from him. Well, what was so interesting about Arizona, too, was that, was that, uh, while the, while this hearing, quote-unquote hearing, was going on, and all these uh, witnesses who provided uh, signed affidavits to what they witnessed. Yeah. Meanwhile, the governor, Doug Ducey of Arizona, rushed through the certification while yeah. these people were testifying, which is like, how dumb can you get? It just, it just drew a huge spotlight on what is he trying to hide? Well, that's, see, and that's what's happening. These, uh, these results are being certified by secretaries of state by governors in georgia and other places i mean this process is working on it and i think what they're trying to do is just cut off uh the president's opportunities to uh present well uh, what the, the facts are in these various states so, but it's not going to work because uh the constitution is pretty clear it's i think it's section two i've forgotten uh uh in the constitution but it is very clear the state representatives hold the power not not through the governor that doesn't need the governor's position or uh, permission, or any court, they have the power to choose the elector. Uh, it was just, it was just so fascinating. And the first witness they brought up was this Colonel Waldron, I believe his name was, yeah. who uh, was talking about the the Dominion voting machines and how he knew and and had witnessed the votes going to a server in Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah, which is just, it's just stunning. Yeah, it's just stunning, and. And every American should wake up and, and pay attention to what has been going on in this country for a long time. Well, I think, you know, I think people are becoming impatient. They'd like to see the results. But what I see is in the polling is that over 70% of the people, uh, of Republicans anyhow, feel that the election was stolen through fraud. 47% of Americans feel that the, yeah. um, the election was, was so, stolen. So I think most people are supporting this process of having, having the evidence being presented and allowing good decisions to be made with, with the election results. So, uh, <laughs> and I don't see a lot, a lot of Biden's support. Hey, by the way, did Biden sprained his ankle? Tell me, what's the update on that? You know what? There is so much uh, stuff going on, which some people would uh, label as conspiracy theories, but when you, what you can't explain, you can't explain. And, and Joe Biden supposedly uh, uh, fractured his foot while playing with his dog, but it wasn't reported for 24 hours. No one's allowed to ask him questions about it. 
it's very mysterious. He's got this boot on. Uh, we I could go on for a half an hour about about the the question marks about and the and the uh, relationship that goes to John McCain and him wearing a boot. I won't even go there. Um, but sounds very. Oh, I mean, it, it's 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 absolutely bizarre. But anyway, Joe Biden. Two things. Joe Biden is no one's allowed to ask him questions about his his uh, foot. And two, Chuck Schumer is trying to push through Biden's uh, nominees <laughs> before he's even become officially president. <laughs> what are they rushing? They're scared about something. Let me just bring up one more thing before yeah. we go. Is that isn't it interesting that Kamala Harris has not resigned her seat from the Senate yet? Well, that isn't. I mean, uh, I think she, the reason she wouldn't do that is because she doesn't have confidence right now that the election is going to hold. I think there's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know, and and I think that all of these people have severely underestimated Donald Trump. Well, he certainly seems to be confident in the process. I haven't heard anything about Sidney Powell and what's going on with her. Sidney Powell, well, I was just, before I came in, I was just, uh, she had posted a bunch of things to, to watch for. She's, she's laser focused on Georgia right now, mm -hmm. but there, there is just so much going on with these voter machines. They want to scrub them. They're even being uh, scrubbed, even though the, uh, the court said they are lock being them scrubbed? down. One was being scrubbed. And My. they've got, they've got um, eyewitness view of the voting machine being taken. So they are hiding something. And, oh, by the way, Lynn Wood, who's the other super, super sleuth attorney, has even um, accused in, on Twitter Brian Kemp, the governor of, of Georgia, of treason. I mean, that's a pretty serious charge. Uh, treason uh, ends up, you go to Guantanamo Bay, and you end up with a military hearing. And, uh, the, uh, and worse. And, and it, could, <laughs> it could end up in death. We're talking about that Republican governor, by the way, of Georgia. So it's... Uh, you know what? And, and when I hear and I see the net that is being uh, spread by as a result of the uncovering the crimes that are being committed, it's gonna it's a big net of a lot of people. I think a lot of people are gonna fall as a result of what's going on. You know what? Too and and I I brought this up to you before and just we we didn't need to talk about this again sometime. But I told you about Dan Scavino, the the social media guy for Trump, and and the and the videos that he's posted. All of those are laying little snippets to, to follow uh -huh. because it's, it's what he's doing with regard to Joe Biden and everything is remarkable. So, I mean, your energy level, I mean, needless to say, on uh, November the 3rd, the evening of or the morning after, uh, was not a good day. I mean, we were feeling pretty down at the time, but right now your energy level is high. I think you're feeling good about the prospect. Well, I'm feeling good about it because Donald Trump doesn't look worried. I mean, he keeps saying, we're going to win this. Yeah. And, and I still think, and again, we could go on about this, but I, I still think all these voter things and all these, these uh, legislature things, uh, while they're important, and I think they're crucially important, mm -hmm. I think that um, it's a distraction for what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And by the way, if anybody's just going to watch uh, a movie on Netflix, you've got a real-life movie playing out in real time yeah. in this country right now. A little shout-out to uh, Newsmax TV, by the way. I mean, uh, And own uh, One America News. That's what we were watching uh, yesterday. One America News as well. I mean, uh, goodbye, Fox News, <laughs> frankly. Linda, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show and bringing us up to date. Thanks so much for it's joining It's fun. You didn't give me enough time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. Always look forward to Andrew Joppa's uh, 
uh, commentary. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. Uh, if you'd like to get on the distribution list for my newsletter, you can uh, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcast. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.